From the rugged desert outside Yuma, Arizona, this is Outpost Outspoken. Outpost Outspoken is the official podcast of U.S. Army Yuma Proving Ground, which conducts natural environment testing of military equipment in Arizona, Alaska, and the tropics. Hello, I'm Mark Schauer. Yuma Proving Ground boasts a wide variety of test capabilities, but its bread and butter has always been the evaluation of ammunition. YPG test fires dozens of rounds of ammunition daily, and the post's weapons operators conduct this dangerous work safely and efficiently in extreme desert heat. Artillery test lead Thomas Brown has done this work for nearly a quarter of a century. How did you wind up in Yuma, Arizona? I joined the Marine Corps at the tender age of 19, and I went to school in Memphis and Cherry Point for my training. And when they assigned duty stations, the Navy personnel that was in in charge of assigning us stations, he said, who did you piss off? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you're going to Yuma, Arizona. And I had no idea where Yuma, Arizona was. I, I didn't even spell it right. When I, when I wrote it down on the paper, I spelled the UMA. I had no idea where this place even was or what it was even like. It must've grown on you though. You stayed even after you got out of the Marine Corps. It it did grow on me. Uh, I grew up in Philadelphia. Uh, it was, you know, it was, a different experience than Yuma, Arizona. I mean, everybody out here was not angry, you know. I had spent so much time in Philadelphia. You have to put on a a front of being mad and, you know, to keep yourself from becoming a victim, at least where I grew up. And and it was uh, it was tiring. So to come out here and people just speak to you. It's like, whoa, what is, what is all this? This is crazy. What's going on here? You know, and you see things and you learn things and you go, no, this isn't so bad. So. You did aviation ordinance in the Marine Corps, but for most of your tenure here, you've been working as an artillery weapons operator. How'd that come about? Well, when I was originally hired, I was hired to uh, fill a spot and aircraft armament because that was my background, but there was only one spot. So they preferred someone else over me for that particular spot. And so they sent me to conditioning chambers because they wanted to keep me, you know, I like to think that they were happy with what I had at least, you know, and, uh, and from there they needed uh, artillery testers. And we went over there, I went over there and I didn't really like it, you know, because I liked being a boss guy. Being a boss guy is awesome. It was it was so awesome. You could you could do your job all day. People trusted you as an individual. You just made things happen. Those dudes are awesome, you know. And so uh, I went over to the artillery test shop. Well, didn't really like it, you know, at first, but it, it grew on me kind of quick. Uh, and they offered me a position, and I stayed there. When it comes to hot, heavy work, it's hard for me to imagine something more so than, than being a gunner. What's an average day like for if you're out on a gun crew? 
Uh, we shoot a we shoot a lot of things. We there's a lot of systems that we operate. So any given day, you could be firing, you know, something as small as a sixty millimeter up to an eight inch. You know, you have foreign uh, weapon systems that we we use. You know, we have to learn those. We have to learn, you know, uh, the ins and outs of each particular person on a crew because everybody's different. You know, some people, they're, they're strong in one area or they don't like this or they don't like that. And and so you have to you have to learn people. You have to learn to understand and accept people for who they are and work inside of that. And you can. You know, I mean, because it makes the day a whole lot worse when you're going back and forth to the gun and you're doing this lifting and this work and it's 120 outside and and you're with people that you don't even want to talk to. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's that's no fun. So, but yeah, we we'll, we shoot tens to hundreds of rounds a day. Depending on the size, depending on the program, we just gotta adapt to everything, and to do it safely too. So you try to do things safely, safely as possible. We try to do things uh, if as efficiently as possible, but we're always looking to protect the guys, protect people, and get the program completed. You know, to to whatever. Uh, requirements they're looking for. You spent a quarter of a century doing some very exhausting work by day, but it didn't tire you out enough to prevent you from writing and publishing a book. You want to talk about that for a minute? Oh yeah, that was that was uh, definitely a fun time. I've been away from writing for a little bit, and actually the other day I I uh, I, uh, I had to do an introspective of myself and I said, you know what? I got to get back to writing. There's a lot of things that's going on. I was really, I can say happy with my book. There's some things I would change now in hindsight, of course, but the simple fact that a lot of what I put in there is, is transpiring today. It was a science fiction book. The things that I had put in there, you know, a lot of them you see playing out today and I was, I'm pretty happy with that. Or I could look at it like I'm pretty upset because it was, it was a lot of things in there that were uh, pretty controversial. So back then and today it's, it's old hat. So you can look at it in both from both sides of the coin. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was good and it was, it was kind of bad. So you told me the, the realest moment about it is when you got a letter from the library of Congress. Oh, that was awesome, dude. I didn't even know it was coming. You know, I get this letter in the mail and, you know, you think, oh, another piece of junk mail or, you know, oh, I don't know. I don't know what this bill is. The Library of Congress wants, <laughs> do I got to pay something? And, it, and then I opened it up and it said, hey, you're in the Library of Congress, dude. And I'm like, wow, officially stamped and everything. That's that's uh, that's pretty awesome, you know, to think that, you know, here's a little dude who who. Grew up in Philadelphia, moved to Yuma, spent some time in the Marine Corps, come out here and you do some work. Yeah. Thomas Brown, is really good talking to you today. Hey, it's good to see you, Mark. Thank you. 
Yuma Proving Ground Fire Inspector Brad Henderson has battled his share of conflagrations in his time, but none as formidable as COVID-19. At the height of the global pandemic, he endured nearly four months of hospitalization. He's back at work now, thanks to some assistance from his fellow firefighters. So it was Columbus Day weekend 2021, and you had shortness of breath. Mm-hmm. Um, woke up the morning of the 11th of October and walked from one end of the house to the other, and it felt like I'd ran a marathon. I just couldn't catch my breath. Sat down and looked at my wife, and I'm like, something's not right. And said, why don't you call the guys? And that's not a phrase you hear very often in our household, so my wife knew it was serious. That if I was, rather than driving myself to the hospital, willing to call the fire department to come get me, she knew. She knew I wasn't doing well. Now, you were a couple days at Yuma Regional Medical Center. Um. Uh, well, the, <laughs> I have to be told what happened after the 11th because I don't really remember anything past the 11th of October. So I was um, treated. I was being treated at YRMC from October 11th to the 18th, which is when they flew me out to Phoenix to Banner University Medical Center. And. The joke in the family is I couldn't ride the helicopter because I was too tall, so they had to fly me up in an airplane. (laughs) And your next memory was December 11th? December 12th. Yeah, December 12th was the day I woke up, and I was looking around the room, and I'm like, well, this isn't YRMC. This wasn't the room I was in. I start looking around, and I look down, and I'm looking at – a pair of arms, and I'm like, whose arms are these? They don't look like mine. I had lost 68 pounds, and I just, I didn't look like me, and of course I hadn't seen a mirror. Uh, Finally somebody showed me a mirror, and I had a beard, and I was just like, how long have I been asleep? Because to me it's like I went went to sleep last night and woke up this morning. It was just that quick. And during that time, you were in a life support machine? Um, I was, um, well, when I got to Phoenix, when I, when they, uh, apparently when they landed at the airport, I coded the first time. So full cardiac arrest, the medics worked me from Phoenix International Airport all the way to Banner University Medical Center. 17 minutes I was down the first time. And um, the nurses, love my nurses, <laughs> Um, one of them in particular was named Stacy. She said, I was straddling you, pumping on your chest from the minute the ambulance stopped into the ICU until your heart started again. And another one, um, Kat, she was a respiratory therapist. She was the one bagging me. And I just had lunch with her last month. So love them to death. They're, they're family now. You know, I do tease them a little bit about breaking my ribs, but... <laughs> I'll take broken ribs over the alternative. You're finally discharged February 4th. Yeah. Yeah, February 4th. Um, when I got out February 4th, I had been in re- I went to rehab for about 3 weeks. Came came back to Yuma probably 2 weeks after we got back. I started physical therapy here. The doctors told me you're always going to be in the wheelchair. You're always going to be on oxygen. 
your, your lungs have just taken too much damage. When I was discharged from the hospital, I only had 23% lung capacity. So they were convinced that that was it. You know, you're, you're, you're going to be stuck in this. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, nah, no, we'll, we'll see. See, to have survived this at all it takes a remarkable physical strength, it seems to me. But what mm-hmm. about the mental strength to get you through this? There, there were times. There were times that just mentally I was done. I'm like, you know what? I just I can't do it anymore. I just want to quit. And, of course, my wife shows up, and she's like, no, come on. She'd kick me in the butt, and we, we got to go. We got to do this. And there were times when she wanted to give up, but I was still gung-ho and you know so we fed each other and kept each other going and you had a little bit of help from your fellow YPG firefighters yeah yeah um, quite a few of the guys would come by the especially the first two or three weeks I was home the guys were coming over with food and and just just seeing the guys kind of helped boost me because the whole time I was in the hospital I couldn't have any visitors um they only let my wife and son visit at certain times while I was in ICU. But once they moved me out of ICU I w- and while I was in rehab, I had no visitors, I, only the nurses, which was uh, I, got, I got out of ICU December 25th, Christmas present. And from that point on until I got out February, I had no, no family, no friends could come visit me. So it was all if I if. Um, I had my phone to video chat, but that was as close as I got to anybody. You've spent a career helping people, and you told me that for you to need help was hard for you. Yes. Yeah, it, it's extremely difficult when your whole life revolves around helping other people, whether it's family, friends, the public, to be stuck in that wheelchair um, I can't remember how many times I apologized to the nurses for them having to do something as simple as lift my bed up so they could set me up, you know, cleaning up my, because I couldn't do anything. I was stuck in the chair. They're stuck in the bed. I couldn't go anywhere or do anything. So they were cleaning me. And I was constantly apologizing. And the nurses are like, no, you don't, you don't have to. I'm like, I'm sorry, but it just, I'm not used to this. And I think that was probably the most frustrating part. But these days you're back at work. I'm back at work. Uh, I'm up to three days in person. I telework the other two days, uh, two to three days a week. Um, the weather still has an effect on me. The, uh, the dust, when the dust kicks up, I still, still have a little bit of issue. Um, I joke around with the guys. They say they can hear me, hear me coming through the station because I sound like an old steam engine huffing and puffing. <laughs> Uh, especially if I've been out walking a, a distance. So, but yeah, the, I, I do know the first time I walked into the station in my uniform, the guys were in the middle of a class and it was an awesome feeling just to be back. Brad Henderson, it was really good to see you today. Good to see you too. This has been Outpost Outspoken. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time from the Army's busiest test center.